You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate Church, it's good to be with you again. Uh, We are today coming to the close of this series we've been in for the last few weeks called Back to Acts. And really, we've been kind of working our way toward next week, which is ResCon. And I look forward to getting to be with many of you in person and and also for those of you who can't go uh, online. We've just been looking at really the beginning of the church. We've been we've been looking at why church matters and why we should bother with it, and and letting the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the of the church, really be our guide in this and be our example. And and it's really it's been challenging for me personally and and uh, in, in this journey. And so today I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of close this out uh, from this series by kind of covering uh, a number of chapters. We're just going to kind of land. We're going to, we're going to touch down as we look at how the Lord grew his church. You know, it's a pretty amazing thing. Whatever you might think about the church, the fact that the church made it through the first century is an incredible thing. Uh, That it overcame the power, the universal brutality and power of Rome and even now has continued for more than 2,000 years, where, where though it started with about 120 people, today over 2 billion people claim to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so it's really just this, this amazing journey, and we get to see the beginning years of it in, in the book of Acts. And what we see is that God uses ordinary but very godly people people on, on whose shoulders that we stand uh, to, to start and then to grow his church. And the methods he uses, a little surprising, and I would say are, are in some ways the same uh, methods that he uses today, at least a couple of them. And so I want to, even though it might be a little early in the message, I want to ask you a question, believe us a question and it might seem a little heavy this early, but I want to ask it. And as we walk through and we see how who God used and how he used them, I think you'll understand my question. But let me just ask you this. What if following Jesus cost you more than you expected? What if following Jesus, what if being a gospel teller cost you in ways you, you didn't expect? Maybe a promotion or maybe a job or maybe it ends up costing financially, or even what if the Lord's plan for you means that your life is shortened because of your faithfulness to God? Do do you ever think about that? Uh, It's questions that we really really need to think about, and the best we can, settle. It's hard to settle them when we're not in certain situations, but to settle them the best we can. I want to start with that, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later. Because I'm gonna, we're gonna be in starting in in the chapter uh, in in Acts chapter seven. So I invite you if you want to kind of follow along. But I'm also gonna just be touching, as I said, and I'll be showing you some different scriptures as we start. Uh, the church has begun. If you've been watching the last few weeks, uh, you'll know that the, the church began, and when Peter on the day of Pentecost boldly shared the gospel 3000 people came to know the lord and then and then just a week or two later several thousand more came to know the lord so the church has grown quickly which has meant it's led to 
some pretty quick persecution for the apostles. And they've been put in jail. They've been, they've been scourged. They've, they've, uh, man, they've, they've already been through some hard time. And then last week we get to chapter six. We said Chris talks to us about how the, then they began to, the church began to have some organizational issues because they are growing so fast. And we, we learned that nobody can do it all, but everybody can do something. And today I want to pick up in the next chapter, chapter seven. And we're going to meet one of the uh, amazing people that God used to further his church. We, met him, we meet him actually in, in chapter 6 because Stephen was one of the, the men that was chosen to serve the widows and to serve the church. Well, Stephen was this amazing guy. He was a, a godly guy. He was a very smart guy. He was always telling others about Jesus. He would get in debates with people and, and just crush them in, in the debate. And of course, that, that didn't always uh, make people happy. And so the, the Jewish leaders, they were, they were getting to where they were being bothered uh, by, by Stephen. And eventually they brought him before the council and they arrested him. And if you read in chapter 7, they ask him if he has anything he wants to say. And that, that's kind of a mistake because he basically kind of goes through the whole, summarizes the whole Old Testament, talking about starting with Abraham, how God started as, as ascending God, yet the people of Israel kept disobeying him. And he just kind of walks through all of that, that history. And then he ends by saying they over and over, they disobeyed him. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're still disobeying God. And it made the, the, the Jewish leaders furious. And so they took him outside of town and they, they had him stoned. And so they're, he's being bludgeoned with these, with these stones. And, and uh, actually, they, they put him to death. Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr, the first martyr of the church. Now, what's amazing about this is this isn't one of those stories where, where the Lord rescues him. He, he does die. But in the midst of his dying, uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us a glimpse into this amazing thing that is happening. One is, while he's being stoned, he says out loud that he forgives those who are stoning him. But then something else beautiful happens. It says to us that he, he, gets, he gets a glimpse into heaven. He gets to, to just see the Lord before he dies. And I, I love this passage because I really do believe there are times when the Lord uh, sometimes lets a person get kind of a glimpse into heaven. As, as a pastor, I've gotten to be with a lot of people when they died or soon, soon after they died. And I remember one lady was in our church and she was just hours away from dying. And, and, but she, was, she started to say, oh, I see Larry. Well, Larry was her son-in-law who had died a few years before. And then she said, oh, and there's Ethan. And, and he's standing. Well, Ethan was her grandson who spent his entire life in a wheelchair, never stood his entire life, yet her view of him in heaven, and, and he's standing. And then she's like, what are all those things flying around? And her daughter said, well, are those angels, Mom? And she said, oh, yeah, that's what they are. They're, they're angels. And, uh, uh, you know, you might say, well, she was just hallucinating, and maybe she was. But I, I fully believe, and we're going to see here, that there's, biblical evidence that sometimes God has allowed people that glimpse of heaven. And what the Lord allowed Stephen to see was very significant. So the first passage I want to read is in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 55, where it says, 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, what's beautiful here is is that Stephen saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And then the Scripture tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But what is unique about this is it says, uh, Stephen says, I see him standing at the right hand of the Father. This is the only place in Scripture where Jesus is described as standing at the right hand of the Father. Every other time he's described as being at the right hand of the Father, he is seated. But this time he's standing there. It's, it's as if at this moment Jesus is standing in honor of Stephen, the one who is willing to give his life for the Lord. It's like the one who died for us was standing in honor of the one who was willing to die for him. It's an amazing, powerful moment. And so that's happening in that moment, but as the Lord always does, He's doing more than one thing at a time. So while He is seeing heaven, the the rocks are continuing to come, and, and the crowd is stoning Him, there's a young man looking on who is approving of all that is going on. His name is Saul. We're going to later know him as Paul. In, verse, in, in chapter 7, verse 58, and then into chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, while this is happening with Stephen, it says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, and Saul approved of their killing him. Now, now Saul was a very educated, highly educated Jewish leader, and he hated these Jesus followers. He hated the church. And what we see here is uh, very clearly with, with Stephen, uh, persecution is on the rise with the church. And what we're going to see is Saul kind of is kind of leading the way and making that happen. Uh, it says in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. So it started with Stephen, but it kept going. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So literally, house to house, dragging them out of their house, men and women, putting them in prison because they were following Jesus. So the first thing I want us to see here about is about how God grew his church and how he grows his church is that he used persecution. It is that God used persecution to grow his church. Now that just seems like an odd method, doesn't it? It seems like, well, persecution would, would hinder the church. It would keep it from growing. And that's what the enemies of the church hoped. But the Lord throughout history, has actually used persecution as a way of growing his church. The Lord can use anything, can't he? Including persecution. You know, the, the religious and the government leaders at that time hoped that, that uh, the believers would be scattered and therefore they would weaken and hopefully they just kind of disappear off the scene. But what happened was, <laughs> these believers couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I mean, Remember, they had seen him resurrected. And so wherever they went, 
the scripture said they were scattered. Wherever they were scattered, wherever they went, the gospel went with them. And they weren't silent about it. Wherever they went, the gospel spread, and therefore the church spread as well. well. Like I said, it might seem strange that the Lord would use persecution, but that is that is something he not only used then, but he's even using even today. I've talked to you before about how the gospel is spreading in the nation of Iran. And you're probably aware of how the gospel has spread throughout China over the last several decades. In 1953, all the missionaries were kicked out, and there was like, oh no, how, how are people going to hear about the Lord? And and since then, that's really when Christianity began to spread to the, to the point that today uh, we're told that there are more Christians in China than there are in America, in the United States. And of course, it's a much bigger nation. The percentage is different, but the overall number is, is greater than, than in the U.S. And, and it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. And that, as a result of persecution, I was reading some testimonies of some Chinese pastors, and they were responding to the question, what would the church look like in China without persecution? And this is just this little glimpse uh, of what a man named, a pastor named Brother Lee said. He said, the Chinese church has grown and survived because of persecution. We don't like persecution, but every time it comes, we grow and, and we fall in love with God more. Persecution is from God's mercy. It is his inoculation and his decay and destruction. So what an unusual response. But what we just see there again is that God can use persecution to grow his church. And he's been doing that actually for a long time, actually since the first century. Uh, But in the midst of this happening, in the midst of of Saul leading the way and this persecution, something very unexpected is about to happen, and it's about to happen to Saul. Uh, If if we move on to to chapter 9, we see that, that Saul is on his way to the city of Damascus, and he's going there to arrest some more people and throw them in jail. But look what happens. It's, uh, he had no idea how his life was about to change. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then Saul responded by saying, Who are you, Lord? Or part of the question is how you, how you pronounce that sentence. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> it's amazing. The Lord stops him in his tracks. And, and, he, and he's on this road to Damascus. And, he, and he, the Lord stops him and says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? Are you the Lord? It's an amazing thing. By the way, just a side note. I, it reminds me, I saw a photo this week of a church, a sign outside in front of a church. And uh, you know how churches have, they put these sayings on a church, on the sign. And, and this one said, I want to be like Paul. I want to be on the way to demask us. <laughs> Damascus, I thought that was funny. Anyway, uh, just a little, little entertainment there. Uh, but so, so he's on the way there and the Lord stops him on his way to Damascus. And, and I want to just give a couple of thoughts. We're going to see, and if you know anything about the New Testament, this one who was uh, supporting the killing of Christians, throwing them in jail. 
His life is about to be, be changed to the point that he becomes arguably the greatest gospel spreader in all of history. And it makes me think of a couple of things. One is, if you think God can't use you, look at, look at Saul who becomes Paul. His name changes and he becomes the Apostle Paul. Or if you've given up on, the, on somebody else thinking, man, they're hopeless, look at Paul. Because if God can change him and use him, he can use anybody. The second thing is I, I want to draw attention to that, to what the Lord said to him in that, in that moment when he stopped him in his tracks. He said, um, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? I wonder if, if Saul went, what do you mean, why do I persecute you? I, I'm, not, I'm not persecuting a you. I'm persecuting an it. I'm persecuting a movement. I'm persecuting a people. But by the Lord just saying that, it's almost like the Lord is saying, now listen, if you're persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. If you're persecuting my church, you're persecuting me. It tells us the Lord's, how he values his church. It would, be, it would almost be like you saying to me, hey, hey, Keith, I really like you, but I hate your wife, man. I'd be like, excuse me? I wouldn't be okay with that. Sometimes we'll say something like that. We're like, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And it's kind of like that. I think the Lord cares about how we treat his bride. And Jesus said, why do you persecute me? So he stopped Paul in his tracks and, and oh man, what a change of direction. And, and as you know, we could spend so much time just talking about Paul, but let's just say at this point right here, Paul then... Uh, begins to be discipled and begins to grow in his journey with the Lord. And, and oh my, how the Lord used him. Well, if we keep walking through Acts here, we move on uh, just to chapter 10. And, and just to summarize, in chapter 10, we see Peter and we see the Lord lead Peter to go for the first time probably in his life to the home of a Gentile and share with them the gospel. It's where we begin to see that the gospel message is for everyone. It's not just for Jews, it's for all people. And we see that again as we move to chapter 11. In, in 11, chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, and began to speak to Greeks also. So not just Jews, but to the Greeks, to other Gentiles, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to Jesus. So as the church is being scattered and God is growing his church through the persecution, not only Jews are coming to Christ, but now Gentiles and in Antioch, God is doing this special kind of work where he is putting together really a multicultural church and he's going to do something with them that he does for the first time. And we see the next way that he, he grows his church. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, this, these two verses are very important in the foundation of our own church and really it should be for every church. It says, while they were worshiping, that this is the, the church at Antioch, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And I love that last part, and sent them off. And that's just the second way that God grows his church that I'll say today and that we see in these passages. Not only does he use persecution, but God uses sending churches to grow his church. And, and we might say, well, that's how he, he works today, mostly. Well, I don't know if we consider the whole world, but he certainly uses sending churches, of which we get to be one. Um, I would actually say, I believe the Lord would like to use a lot more sending churches than are available. But that is one of the ways he grows his church around the world is through churches that are willing to send others out. Churches that are willing to, to pay the price of having some of them go and some of them stay and send. And as you know, that's just been a part uh, for most of our history of who we are. We get to be a church that is a sending church. And what's interesting to me, and I think very unique to us, is uh, I've been in the church just uh, two and a half years now, uh, and, and long enough to know that when I say this, when I talk about we're ascending church, some people are like, yes, and others of you are like, oh, yes, we are, and it's really painful. There's a lot of cost to being ascending church. There's a cost to those who go, and there's a cost to those who stay. And some would even say, I think we're sending too much. And, and I want to respond to that a little bit because uh, the truth is we really do need to seek the Lord about the pace that we send. And I promise you our leaders are seeking the Lord very seriously about the pace that we send. But kind of here's my perspective after kind of just seeing a whole lot of churches. Uh, there's really not a church that is really perfect, perfectly balanced really in any area, but certainly in this area of sending. In fact, I would argue that most churches, uh, most churches are not sending churches. Most churches are more concerned about keeping and just maybe surviving or just having as many people, keeping as many people as they can. And we, maybe you would argue we're out of balance on the other side. We are sending too much. But if we had to, if we have to decide, and I I would say we do. There's no such thing as perfect balance. You can't find a church that does everything that I've ever heard of, at least, does everything with that perfect balance. We're going to be out of balance. I absolutely choose being a church that's on the side of sending too much because we get to be a part of God spreading His Word and spreading His gospel around this country and eventually around the world. Uh, even just, we heard testimony just this last week and I believe it was in Salt Lake City. Someone shared the gospel with someone who had never heard it before. That's happening all the time. Salt Lake or in Reno or in Seattle or in Seattle. Our, Jacob, our pastor there, just this last week talked about he met a, a lady, a couple in, uh, he, he and Jess met a couple in the park. The lady was an atheist. And what's she doing? She finds out he's a pastor and she's trying to get him so he can meet her sister because his sister needs a church. Here's an atheist trying to connect their sister to a church, to a pastor. It's amazing because they were there. And that's happening in Missoula and Bozeman and uh, all 15 places. I'm so thankful we get to be a part of that, even though the cost is great. 
for everyone. You see, if we're going to follow the Lord, there's going to be a cost. There's, there's this part of us, I think, that says, well, I'm willing for there to be a cost for a little while. But we can get to a place where maybe we've taken a step of faith, maybe we've made sacrifices, and then there's, it's easy to go, well, I did that. I already did that. Now, couldn't we just be a little more comfortable? And uh, I, I just want to say to us, yes, we need to seek the Lord's wisdom and timing and all those things. But it's always going to cost. If you look at the beginning of the church, it always cost to be a part of God's mission, to, to be His church. It's just always costly, but it's worth it because of Jesus. It's worth it because of the spreading we, that we get to spend our lives doing what is the most important thing in the world, which is being a part of the spreading of the gospel, which really leads me back to those questions I asked at the beginning. You know, what if, what if following Jesus costs you more than you expected? Are you still willing to follow? Are you still willing to, to be one that, that shares the gospel, even though maybe uh, some others have not liked it when you did? Uh, what, what if we were what if we the kind of people we just can't help but talk about? It? It's just a part of our conversation because the Lord's impacted our lives so much. But what if doing that costs us? Even what if it caused our lives to be shortened? because we're following the Lord's plan, because we're being obedient to Him. Am I willing for the cost to continue? It's really something we have to keep working through with the Lord. But listen, life is short, and I can't think of a better reason to live than to help as many people as possible hear the gospel, and for many of them to, to follow the Lord. You, that's, you think about that. That's what the Apostle Paul did. We saw him when he was wanting people to be killed and throwing them in jail. Then he comes to know the Lord. And then he writes most of the New Testament. He takes three different trips, starting churches and, and sharing the gospel. And you get to Acts chapter 20, which is very likely like maybe five decades later. And you see he's, he's, not, he's still willing to do whatever is necessary. If you get all the way to Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, it's, Paul says this, and, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That task that God gave him, it, it, it never ended. No matter how old he was or how long he'd been doing, he still was living out this mission, this, this task that the Lord had given him. What a transformation from where he was to who he became and the way the Lord used him and even today uses him in our lives. He's the one that said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm just thinking about this perspective of how easy our most natural self, we, we, we keep looking at, okay, well, uh, how do we, we might not say it like this, but how can we kind of take a breath and just be comfortable for a while? And yes, there's, there's a place for rest and all those things, but we've got to remember the mission. We've got to remember what God's called us to 
that greatest, that greatest task that he's called us to, and that is of, of spreading the gospel. I was, I was reading uh, Mark Battison in his book, Chase the Lion. He, was, he writes about a missionary named uh, J.W. Tucker, and when he was 49, along with 60 other uh, of his compatriots, they were thrown into the crocodile-infested uh, Bomakande River in, in, by Congolese rebels, and they were killed. And Mark Batterson was saying, you know, our, our natural instinct is to feel sorry for Tucker, whose earthly life was seemingly cut short. But then he says this, but life can't be cut short when it lasts for all eternity. And that's worth thinking about. And I'm not saying we need to go out and look, how, look for ways to get our lives cut short. I'm just saying that I'm reminded what, what burdens me for my own life when I read this section of the book of Acts is that God used people greatly who were willing just to continue to live all out for Him no matter the cost. And uh, it's right for us to keep asking that question. Am I still willing to do what the Lord would have me to do for the sake of the gospel, no matter the cost, knowing that it's worth it? Let's pray together. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for the examples we have here that you've shown us really in the early days of the church and for the challenge you give us uh, by seeing the lives of these folks. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would follow your wisdom, we would follow your timing, but we would follow it with open hands and open lives and open hearts and that uh, what would be most important to me, to every person in our church, every person watching, would be following the task you have for us above anything else. And may that never change, Lord. I pray that for every one of us, for every person in this church and that's watching this right now. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.